and welcome back to Well With My Soul, the podcast from Seven Vineyard about spiritual and emotional health. My name is Bern Leckie and I am joined today by a panel of extremely capable people. They are fantastically talented and capable and I want to introduce them to you now. But ask them first, if there's something that people think you're really good at, but actually secretly you're just not. Uh, let's start with Owen. Uh, Owen, who, <laughs> what's what's your job, Owen? Well, I've got two jobs, Bern, actually. Um, one, um, I planted seven vineyards with my wife, Claire, and we're co-lead pastors of this church. And also I work as a physiotherapist in private practice. You must be a very capable man. What, so what do people think you're good at that you're not? <laughs> well, I also coach the Long Ashton under-16s football team. And I've done that for a couple of years. And uh, I've got two sons that play football and played football for the Long Ashton Juniors since they were five years old and they're now 16 and 18. So we've been around a long time and every season we have a end of season parents tournament. And there's been one or two seasons where we've either won it or, or been the runners up in this, um, in this tournament. Now you've got to understand, this is a sort of 10 minute football match between dads and mums. And frankly, I have had some good moments in front of the kids playing football, scoring goals and skinning some other parents, you know? I have to say though, I can do that for 10 minutes, but put me on a pitch for 90 minutes and I just kind of, I just slip back into obscurity and uh, just uh, find myself at sixes and sevens running out of breath and, um, and, and, you know, missing tackles and uh, and making poor passes so uh, some of the boys that are friends of my sons think i'm quite good at football but i think honestly i'm not that good oh what, what, what a shame but uh but it sounds great that you're that you're taking part amazing you're probably much <laughs> much much better than me um let's say hi to anna Oh, hello. Hi, everybody. And what do you do? I work with children as a physiotherapist, and I also enjoy supporting foster carers in my spare time. Amazing. So is there anything that people think you're good at that you're really not? <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at meals where I've invited people round, Burn. So... I get all oh. excited. I love hosting. I love hospitality. And I invite people around for meals, but I forget that I'm not actually that good at it. And I particularly struggle in the area of having the components of the meal all ready at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all a bit awkward because my dining table is in the kitchen. So the visitors are in close quarters with me trying to get things organized. And it's really not my speciality. It's no surprise if I've forgotten to cook the potatoes at all or, or just anything could happen, basically. Just prior to serving, there's often not everything we need for a meal at the ready. <laughs> so how long have people, uh, what's the worst case? How long have people been sort of waiting well, well I think because I don't like to show that I'm struggling, I just tend to serve meals, uh, different components as they're ready. <laughs> so feel free to make a start and the potatoes will be along soon. That kind of thing. <laughs> Play it Love cool. It. Cover it up. I bet Christmas is your favourite time of year. Uh, I, I actually don't get me started. No, I think the ideal <laughs> Christmas is to go out somewhere else to someone else's house who's really good at this stuff. It's true. Um, Dan, uh, how are you? And uh, what what do you do, Dan? I'm the director of a charity in Bristol called Bridges for Communities, and I also serve on the staff team at Seven, and I do some freelance training as well. So I'm a bit of a juggler. <sighs> Oh, nice. Could there be anything that people think you're good at then that you're really not? Oh, yes. 
I think most things that people think I might be decent at. <laughs> oh, damn. I'm winging it. <laughs> so my grades at school or university, I managed to do really quite well. In fact, I won an award at school for being scholar of the year. But the secret is that I just, I worked really hard and um, I was in a school where there wasn't that much else to do. And yeah, I, I, I definitely then got to university and um, realized that there are a million people out there who are smarter than me and that people think much more quickly than me. So I don't know, that was just one area where I felt like people may have the wrong impression if they just looked at um, kind of how I'd done at school. I don't know if, if we've accidentally made this feel like a job interview where you have to sort of attach a positive to your negative. You know, what do you really struggle with? Oh, I just work too hard. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. It, it's not meant to be that. No, I didn't think it was. Sorry, I'm joking. But yeah. I'll give you another example. This one, this one might be more helpful. Um, so every now and then I get asked to do a talk at seven and I do it. And some people are kind enough to give me positive feedback and say, oh, you know, you're really good at that. You put words together well. Um, but the trick, you know, the secret is I have to do a lot of work to get there. Uh, it doesn't come that naturally. And the gap between my brain and my mouth, I'm sure, is longer than it is for everybody else. Because <laughs> I have to really think about what I'm going to say to be able to say it. But then when I'm prepared, I can say it. Um, so I think people can, again, come away with the wrong, a false impression that, um, that I'm articulate or I can put words together. But I have to really think about it beforehand. So, yeah, bit of a gap there between reality and what people might think. Can I just assure everyone listening uh, to what Dan just said very eloquently? Uh, we're, we're actually do, recording this on Zoom and we can see each other. And I didn't see the script that you were reading from right there, Dan. You're very good at either doing it spontaneously or hiding the script, both of which are good skills. You are kind, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, how are you? And uh, what, what do you do, Helen? Oh, yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Helen. I'm a play therapist. So work with children around their emotional needs. And can there be anything that people think you're good at, but you're really not? Oh, um, there is lots of things. Definitely lots and lots of things. But I'm going to cut a little bit with Anna, but on cooking. I think people often think that I can cook quite well. And my kids definitely don't think that. But anybody who I cook for... But what they don't know, particularly when I do meals for others, it's always the same meal. So I reckon <laughs> I may have done meals for Dan, Anna and Owen, but I bet you it's always been a sausage casserole. So, yeah, I can see some nodding. It was it's delicious, true. though. Yeah. Do that every day, Helen. Practice yeah. makes perfect. Yeah, I have one sort of repertoire and then if... They can't eat that. I'm like then panicking on what can I cook? So. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting, this sort of tension that you've landed on right away between yeah. this kind of how people see us and and how we feel we are and how we might have a lot more kind of turmoil about who, who we are and what we feel we can't do than anyone else has. Like, because if anyone else just likes likes your, your cooking, I wonder why it feels so bad to think, oh, yeah, but I should do something else. Very interesting. My name's Byrne, by the way. I put together digital things for Seven Vineyard and other people. So I quite often do technical things. And I'll very often people take a glance 
something something I'm doing. But people then assume that I'm good at other technical things and particularly kind of practical things and, and try and rope me into like fixing something or uh, do some DIY or something like that. And, and I'm rubbish, completely, completely rubbish at DIY. It's, it's, I, I think if you move into a house with picture hooks, that adds to the value of the house. <laughs> Great. We can have something up on the wall. Amazing. I can't think of any other way to, to work that out other than, you know, get someone else in. And so I suppose I've gotten used to saying no uh, to when people ask uh, to, to do anything even remotely like that. And I've gotten used to not feeling too bad about that. But here's the thing. I, don't we all like saying yes more than we like saying no? Definitely. Yeah, agree with that one. How does it feel when we say yes and, and take an extra responsibility on? How does it feel to you? It, it feels good to respond to something, to be able to help others with something and to be part of something that's worthwhile as well. So I think I also related to that sense of saying yes out of empathy or compassion, wanting to help somebody who's a bit stuck or needs some kind of support that I might be able to give. Sometimes because maybe it feeds something in me to be able to have that role of, of kind of being the helper. And sometimes because genuinely I'm quite positive about things and I want to be part of something worthwhile. So when somebody says, oh, would you like to be part of this new group we're doing? Or would you like to help us put on this thing? My default almost is to say, yes, of course, like I would like to, because that sounds great. So yeah. Definitely relate to that and very difficult to then um, kind of unpick that or have the discipline to say, actually, I need to weigh this up of, mm -hmm. of what are the implications if I do keep saying yes to all of these good things. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that, Dan. I was thinking of your talk, Owen, um, where you started with the guy who holds the rope. And I thought, I am so that person. If someone said, do you want to hold a rope? I'm just going to hold a rope. And then I'm going to go, oh, why am I holding it? What's at the end of it? What's the purpose? <laughs> and I would be that person who just goes, yeah, give it to me. And then what you're saying, Dan, and then I'm holding a rope and it could be <laughs> very heavy. Um, who knows what's on the end of it from your talk. And then I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? I've overstretched. I've overcommitted myself. How do I get out of this? Mm. Helen, you look like the kind of person that I, I bet a lot of people come and ask for help because you look like a very helpful, helpful person, a person who would know what's going on as well. My wife, Helen, has the exact same experience, by the way, so this is how I relate to how that feels. Uh, people don't often come up to ask me for help so much. Maybe because it looks like I, or I don't know, rip their heads off. Uh, maybe that's what. <laughs> I have no idea. But my wife is is like, yeah. People will ask her, you know, what's the price of something? How to get over the road? Where some where something is that's that you know that's somewhere else in town? Mm. Um, does, does that happen to you? I think you can get like a reputation as a person for being someone helpful, a kind of label. So I think that kind of then makes the problem accentuated. So once you've helped a few people, then word travels fast. Oh, yeah, Anna might help you or Helen might help you or Dan might help you. 
So uh, yeah, I think it can get a life of its own quite easily. Does that feel nice having that reputation? Um, yeah, but I think there is a cost to being the person who's doing all the helping. So yeah, it does feel good. Mm. It does feel good. Shall I tell you a story of uh, getting it a bit wrong and how it's helped me to help myself set personal limits? Mm. Well, a long time ago, when I lived in Nottingham, I used to go as a visitor to a prison and we used to do a kind of, it was called a service, but really it was just an excuse to get the biscuits out, get the urn on and just chat one-to-one with the men in the prison in Nottingham. So we went every week and we got to know some of the prisoners really well. And some of the people there were on remand, so they hadn't got a guilty verdict at court yet. They were waiting and some of them said they were innocent And eventually um, a guy that we'd got to know quite well was released and we weren't his first line of help. He had the services that are usually required uh, in place when he left prison, but he was a really nice guy. We got to know him well, as I said, and he was uh, found to be innocent of the crime that he was on remand for in prison. So we got to know him and it just went really wrong. I'm not suggesting there's anything to do with his background, but on this occasion, we offered him a lot. We saw him maybe most days of the week. He didn't know anyone. It's very hard to readjust to life outside prison. And it ended up that we would meet him in coffee shops. And sometimes he came to our home and, uh, Because of the difficulties that he had after prison, his lifestyle wasn't very easy for him to maintain. And he started to slip into a more chaotic life, which then impacted us. Um, And we ended up being a little bit fearful of him and what he might do. He became a bit unpredictable. And yeah, it was all okay. But what that taught me was something about not offering more than I could maintain. So this has become a bit of a catchphrase, particularly when I meet new people who are asking for help or need help. I have this kind of line in my head, don't offer them more than you can maintain, Anna, because once people get uh, get used to seeing you every day, of course, they want to see you every day. You become part of their support network and it just happens without it meaning to sometimes. So, yeah, that's uh, something that I learned then that I've really carried with me since then. That sounds like an amazingly important lesson to learn but quite a hard lesson to learn if you you feel you're helping so much because it's a challenge to you and the heart of you and how helpful you'd been and what you think ought to happen by by being helpful doesn't that 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 just makes it even more sharp doesn't it yeah i think so yeah it was yeah. quite shocking at the time it consumed me for a while Hmm. Does anyone else relate to that feeling, that conflict maybe, where saying no doesn't just feel like it's something you don't want to do, but like it's really dug at something in your identity and makes you feel awful? Yeah, I I can relate to that, but in a different way. Have you heard of the Enneagram? So the Enneagram is a way of understanding yourself and the way in which you work. And on the Enneagram, I've identified that I am a type three what's called an achiever and this is quite significant for me because my core fear as an achiever is being exposed as or thought of as incompetent inefficient or worthless um, or failing to be successful 
So my desire is to be, um, is to have high status and respect and be admired and successful and valuable. But my deceit is that I deceive people into believing that I am only the image that I present to other people. That kind of leads me into all sorts of trouble when it comes down to pleasing people. So when I'm unhealthy, usually if I'm stressed, tired or fatigued or lonely, I try and I say yes to people who, who I want to please. So I will say yes to things that might um, kind of give me an appearance of um, status, profile, success. Um, and I'll say no to things that, that won't offer me that, that if I'm being unhealthy. And, uh, and that can be um, really uh, undermining for my own self-esteem um, and also just useless, really, because, frankly, um, I just end up annoying other people. Mm. So what you're saying, we're saying sounds like you've sort of carefully cultivated your yeses and your noes. It's not like all the no's are, are bad, but because you're, you have a, a thing that you want to promote, uh, you, you, an idea of how you want people to see you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I'm unhealthy, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can really relate to what Owen's saying. And I think sometimes when I said, you know, you're holding on to it, you jump in. But actually what I've realised over time is my how I respond may depend on how secure or insecure I actually feel myself. And I think I was kind of just relating to say to Owen, um, if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling that I'm lonely or feeling rejected or not can link to Owen not have got value, then I will say yes to more things then when I feel more secure in myself of who I am and who I am in God, and then I can take a little bit of time to think, do I, re- you know, is this what I should be doing? Is this helpful? Is this in line with um, how I should be using my time, my purpose? But I need to almost pause to do that because often the decision of why I do something is just how, I, how I'm feeling at that, that very moment of time. Uh, and that can just depend upon whether I'm feeling happy or sad, worried, stressed, lonely, valueless, confident. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I relate. Um, I think in the, the the whole thing of security and insecurity, in a way, it'd be nice to think that we can all be super secure and therefore all you know think our way through to being better people. But we're not, though, are we? I mean. Yeah. And, and at times in life, I can relate to it. To, so I mean, it's some, it didn't seem that bad to me at the time, but not long after and reflecting on it and certainly reflecting from a distance, I can see how absolutely rubbish I was at this in my 20s. I was terrible uh, and to, to, like toxically bad because I was super insecure. I was trying to forge a path for myself. I decided that I wanted to kind of learn how to do media things and 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 get into radio for some reason and that is not a path that promotes security because uh, you have to kind of work for free or or for not cheap or it did at the time for uh for quite a while and uh and and i think i was making up for that and making up for uh, and, and making use of the fact that people felt i was capable uh by just taking on taking on and taking on taking on loads and loads more stuff like f- I, I got to a point there was a year in my life in my 20s where i took on far too much and i literally had to leave town <laughs> and i moved from from one town 
to a different town where uh, and then the phone rang <laughs> on my, on the, uh, uh, in my, at my new work uh, and people said there, there's someone been after you and they're really anxious and and it's because of some stuff that I'd promised to get done I really need to get done that I just wasn't capable of doing and and it was that that horrible feeling of uh pressure I can't and 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 I and I came very close I think then to just having a complete breakdown I think and um it was not good and and it was one of those things that made me feel in my core like I had limitation like real like massive limitations even bigger than my real limitations probably were it made me feel that that I wouldn't that I was profoundly incapable of keeping my promises and and uh, and it was one of the things that made me think at the time there's no way I could ever be a dad <laughs> um it just sort of reinforced all my fears about that which I eventually had to get over um mm. but that's another story I heard someone say once that you have to say a lot of no's to say the big yes and that's something that has stuck in my mind but been very hard to do <laughs> but I think it's right that life will throw at us lots of different opportunities and needs and we could all spread ourselves a hundred different ways to try and meet those and then we hit that point where we realize we can't um, and hopefully we hit that realization before something's gone pop but I think Owen touched on this in the talk as well of kind of knowing what we're about, knowing what we're for, or another word I've heard it said is like, what is your most unique contribution? So we could all do a lot of different things, but we don't have the capacity, the time or the energy to do that. So actually having a bit more clarity, like Helen said, I think the security of knowing what's my main thing mm. or what am I two or three main things and then I'm going to say yes to those and I'm probably going to have to say no to almost everything else but that's really hard because we're connected in relationship and so saying no to someone who's passionate about something a bit different or maybe their main thing is a bit different to mine yeah, yeah. it's hard to because we feel like we're letting people down we feel like we're holding on to that rope with the guy over the bridge a little, you know, in a smaller way, not saying you're going to kill me, but saying, I need your help. Like if you let go of this rope, my dream, my project, my cause might not make it. Um, and that's what makes it really hard is um, at what point does that person's responsibility who's hanging over the bridge just belong to them? And I thought that final kind of conclusion of saying, I'm going to count down from 10 and then I'm going to let go of the rope. And, you know, then I respect your choice. Ultimately, I'm, it's your choice. But what that actually looks like in a real life scenario, you know, let, let's say someone is coming to my house to visit more regularly than I can manage, um, like the example Anna mentioned, what it actually means to give them that choice and then to draw a line or put in a boundary is quite tricky. It's not yeah. always as easy, it's not always easy to picture as a rope that you're holding. Yeah, and I think um, in a world that I spend a lot of time, the world where I support foster carers, there's often these kind of questions because there's a greater need than the amount of people who are there and able to help. And um, there's a kind of phrase which is talks about natural consequences. So allowing people 
to see the impact of their own choices and letting that unfold for them rather than jumping in and rescuing them. I think it's a little bit like that phrase, people need a hand up, not a hand out. You know, so that idea that by jumping in and making everything better, perhaps even with my children, but also in the way that I relate to other people who may have a need, rescuing is appropriate sometimes, but often people, individuals need to see the consequences of their actions and that can be hard but there's something about a boundary in there sometimes i agree and natural consequences is such an important thing as a parent it's something that we're conscious that we want to that's how we want our son to learn but still when he's miserable because he's dropped his ice cream on the floor that's like oh yeah, you know, we don't want to be detached from that and go, sorry, <laughs> should learn. Yeah. What have you learned? What have you learned, son? Uh, you feel bad because they feel bad, you know, especially if they're very young, they'll be crying. Yeah. But is it But is it my responsibility to make sure that he always has an ice cream in his hand, even if he drops it? That's that's the question. Or, or is, at what point can you say, ah, let's do something else now uh, and you can do something else. And, and, that, and that feeling of, Oh, but I dropped my ice cream. Can they can learn from it? It's I'm I'm sounding like a monster now. I'm just uh, realizing. I'll buy no one ice cream, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think especially as my children hit their teenage years, you know, I don't know their behaviour changes. They get a bit crazier, and it is easy to kind of think you'll rescue them. So if you go out till three in the morning and you've got to be up for work at seven and you don't hear your alarm, it is tempting to wake them up. But these mm. days, I'm like, actually, yeah, that's just life. If you don't, if you go out too late, then you won't wake up with your alarm, and therefore the consequences are whatever they are when you get to work. But it won't be me yelling at you, and it won't necessarily be me waking you up. But you know, you're going to have to find out what the consequences of that are. You might get away with it. You might not. So how do you, that sounds amazing. How do you answer the question? But why didn't you wake me up? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I hope they're not listening, but I usually actually pretend I haven't realised they weren't up. So <laughs> therefore it's none of my business. I wasn't involved at all. I, I won't say anything. I won't do anything. It's just what happened. I won't pretend that I, I won't pretend that I was involved in any way I was just doing what I was doing I didn't even realize so sorry you know so sorry you're in this situation <sighs> you better hurry have a good day shocking don't shocking. tell anyone no no one's listening it's okay it was just between us coming back to this story that you told Owen because it's a bit of a harrowing one isn't it it's it, it's very yeah. resonant and emotional there's something I wanted to ask you about it though you've interpreted it and, and we've all shared how we've related to it as if it is about us and someone else. But I'm not sure is that the story is only interpreted like that. There was a detail that stood out to me at the beginning that the person who was asking for help was incredibly similar to the person who was going over the bridge. And by incredibly similar, I'm taking to mean it wasn't someone else. Maybe it, what if it wasn't someone else? What if this was a story about someone and themselves, their expectations of themselves that they were encountering on the way towards doing something else, something new, they were they were encountering their own insecurities and their own expectations um, that, that, were, that were looking like they ought to 
stay in one place rather than reach out and do something new. Has it? Has, it, has anyone else thought that might be it? I actually, I didn't quite think that was the story, but when we were thinking about our limitations, most of this conversation was about us almost saying what where do we say no? But I actually did think about it a bit the other way of thinking we can, and this is something I have to challenge myself on sometimes is I can actually go the other way and I can almost be going, oh, I need to say no to this, no to this. But is that because I want to feel comfortable and don't want to challenge myself? Because I sometimes think, oh, when I step into something new, I want to do it, but I might feel a bit nervous or I might feel a bit worried about it or a bit scared. So, so it's easier for me to say no, because then I stay in my comfort zone. But if that's then starting to take me on a different journey all the time, because it's more comfortable, I might need to actually challenge myself and say yes to a few things. Maybe it's not as cut and dry here as, as we all need to learn to say no, uh, but actually reshaping our yeses and nos finding a guide towards doing that or 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 or, or learning to do that better i think that would be really good let's turn to jesus in time of crisis let's turn to jesus and and what, what owen shared about jesus which i think was a little bit shocking actually i think of jesus as the most capable human being who's ever lived and uh, and therefore someone who would easily be able to say yes to anything people ask him. In fact, it's a common complaint about people of faith or about the yeah, an argument against it being real that, that, well, you know, if Jesus was all that, why didn't he just cure everybody? Why didn't he just jump down from the cross and go aha and uh and and why did he go through this whole business of 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 self-sacrifice what on earth is is that about why why does it make why is it interesting why is it um important that jesus had limits and sometimes said no to people that was too big a question wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> you're really inviting us to, de- to debate the di- difference between the divine christ and the human jesus of nazareth i think and uh, there's a big there is a question mark in there isn't there about yes. what does that look like welcome to our new podcast well with my soul the t- extremely unwell with my theology i have no idea yeah. <laughs> it is a challenge uh, but but i like to list, I, th- I like to th- look at what jesus's limits were because i think for me i am um, i like to have a go at everything because I'm a bit of a, oh, I'm curious, I'm hubristic, I overstep my, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really know my boundaries sometimes. And so I'll try something and then realize that I'm, I'm not really good at that. And maybe even embarrass myself as well, knowing that I'm not very good at it. So for instance, um, I think I'm quite good at doing um, accents, particularly my Irish accent, but I can embarrass myself because Did I'm you? hubristic I'm like oh easily yeah I could easily do it now could you do it now <laughs> to be sure but, but you know the reality is is that um, I find myself in a place where actually it, it, it's actually good for me to have limits I actually I need to put limits on myself I need to say actually I'm not very good at that and it's not I'm just being down on myself I'm just being realistic um, and I don't think that's healthy and I think that's what I like about Jesus is that it's really healthy if he had kind of just healed absolutely everyone he ever met and worked 24 hours a day with no sleep, he wouldn't be a very good role model for us we, because none of us could follow that. 
um, he was human. He lived within his human limits, and um, I particularly think that the, the his his the temptations that Jesus experienced in in the in the Judean wilderness um, just after he's baptized is particularly indicative of the way in which he he deals with his limits. And um, I find his humility in that context immense when I compare it to his divinity. It's absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, yeah, he 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 chose to limit himself. It's, it's just incredible. He understood himself. He knew himself. He right. was just secure in who he was and knew why he'd come and what he needed to do. Why was Jesus important in history at the time in Israel? What did people expect? Mm. I think Jesus was uh, one of a number of people who people thought at the time had come to lead a, lead a revolt against the Romans and and kick the Romans out of um, of Israel because the Romans, um, you know, had, had conquered um, this area of Judea. Um, I use that term Judea and Israel interchangeably, but they'd, con- they'd conquered that area and the Jews wanted the Romans out and they were looking for one one of them to, to rise up and lead a revolt against the Romans and kick them out. And that, I think there was a great expectation that maybe Jesus was one of those people. And of course he wasn't. And he made it really clear that that wasn't what he was here for. Okay, so what was he here for? Well, to me, it means that he was willing to let people down or not meet their expectations. Yeah. And also, I think he was prioritizing. So Owen shared an example where he didn't heal people that were being brought to him or suggested. And it was in order to go to the other villages and share the good news there. So it wasn't that he wasn't going to do this because he wanted to kick back and watch Netflix. It was because he had a sense of purpose. And actually, in order to fulfill that purpose, he had to not do this. And that was, I think it was really refreshing to think of that limitation, very human limitation on his time and energy. So that relates to what we were saying earlier about learning to say good yeses and and a lot of no's when we're certain about what our purpose is. Yeah. And I think that when Owen also, from the uh, talk about Jesus, when he did his Sunday talk, um, I loved it, Owen, where you drew out as well that Jesus wasn't expecting that he would do everything. He was promoting and introducing the idea of teamwork, really, of saying, you know, it's not just me. There are others here who can meet your needs and point you to God. And I think that um, I really enjoyed hearing that. And I think it fits with what you said, Dan, about having to say no to things. It's quite easy when you see a lot of need around you to want to respond but we simply can't and we need to have self-care and time with Jesus and we need to keep our pace maintainable, as I spoke about earlier. So I think it's great when I feel overwhelmed by the need around me to think, no, we're a team. Everyone needs to play their part. I just need to do my bit well. And you alluded to that as well, Owen, when you said about, you know, being asked, uh, why were you not like Moses? Well, the question for me will be, why was I not like Anna? Did I do what God called me to do, my bit, my part? I can't do everything, but did I do that well? And uh, yeah, that's where I'm trying to keep focus. That's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. So so the th- one of the things that strikes me about Jesus is how, how I think he really came against the expectation people had was that God would do something that would just sort everything out. Yeah, spiritual without health think- service. Yeah, without thinking that that would make the world completely different. 
that would make life completely different. If you, if you were to step out of your door and the sky was a different colour because God had done something, you know, and that then what <laughs> you go, what is this to say? Well, where am I living now? What what am I supposed to do? And can you imagine that feeling of of not knowing like who we are anymore and what we're supposed to do anymore because you know God had done something or something really big had happened in the world like something big like covid has happened and when and suddenly we don't know from you know from week to week what plans we can make and what what we can promise and who can come around to our house and all that sort of thing when something really big happens i think jesus was doing something um quite quite profound and quite personal and quite challenging by not living up to the expectation people had that that suddenly there'd be a military victory and all the Romans would fall over. But he was actually taking the battle, saying there is a battle that we need to fight, but it's in us. It's in it's in our hearts. It's in it's in the heart. Uh, uh, it's in my heart when I think I'm more capable than I am and I need to, to realise my limits. It's in my heart when I, I end up sort of running myself into the ground because I've taken to, on, on too much because uh, I'm feeling insecure and, and it's in my heart when uh, when I can gain my security from a different place and, and really start to gain a bit more of a sense of purpose and start to say yes to really good things and start to say no to, to the other things. It's an it's a in-me heart battle first, which I feel Jesus has been there with me fighting so that all these big problems all these mega problems like you're saying and you know there is so much to do in the world actually jesus came to equip millions of people <laughs> to be part of that so that yes those problems can get solved but it starts with us rather than expecting just everything to be done for us does that make sense yeah yeah does it anyone got anything to add about how faith or faith in jesus in particular May, may have helped you change from feeling insecure and saying yes too much to feeling more secure and proceeding with, with purpose. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, my faith in Jesus has secured me more in who I know myself to be because I feel loved unconditionally as a human being by, by God. And that's meant that I haven't needed... I, I mentioned earlier that I noticed that my personality type is what we call a an achiever type and an unhealthy achiever finds their security in in, in their success and that the, the way other people perceive them. But actually by finding my security in Jesus and in, in, in being loved unconditionally, it's really enabled me to relax into who I am um, and, and accept my limitations and enjoy my limitations and, and, and it, yeah, have a real sense of Actually, I don't have to perform because I think my, my personality type tends to mean that I, I feel the pressure in an unhealthy setting to really need to perform for other people um, and actually be good at everything. And I know I'm not good at everything, so therefore I, I either fabricate that I'm good at everything or, or, I, you know, I, or I don't try things. And, and the reality is that I actually can relax. I can just work on what I am good at and enjoy what I am good at. And for me, that's given me a lot of freedom, personal freedom and enjoyment. I've found what I'm good at and, I'm, and I can put my energy and time into those things without the pressure to feel like I have to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, so much what you're saying, Erin, because I, I think finding out a bit about who I am and why, why do I behave, why do I do things has been really helpful. And I know we've been talking about the emotionally focused, but 
using that as a bit of a springboard to explore that and then go, oh, so for me, uh, rejection in an early life, I mentioned that earlier, was was a key factor. And what I've realised through that is that I like to please people. I'm a real people pleaser. And I'm thinking about the Enneagram, which Owen's talking about, I'm, I'm a helper. I just want to help people. But I help people because I want it, it meets my needs of, of feeling secure, not, ne- not necessarily their needs. It would be the, and understanding that and then going back to where is Jesus in all of this and my identity, exactly what Owen said, my identity and knowing that he's never going to reject me, never going to leave me, never going to forsake me, has helped me to get up, to, to, to go and feel more secure and then make more reasoned choices of when and why I, um, I help people. Not uh, because it, for me, the danger would be is I would create a codependency. That's a, a huge factor for me to meet my needs. I meet someone else's, but knowing that Jesus just will never leave me. He's just always there. And that comes right into then beginning to see that is who I am and my sense of self. So really helpful. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. I think there's a lot to dig into there. I felt that we started talking about like little things that niggle us like when we're like when we feel bad for saying no to someone but it's grown into this we've realized the topic is the roots that go much deeper don't they 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 go into our security or insecurity they go into whether we feel connected to something bigger than us and our purpose or whether we feel we're just trying to make make do and 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 get sort of go from day to day, um, trying trying to look the best we can or do the best we can and and take on as many kind of good feeling responsibilities as we can. Um, that's quite a profound thing. And if you're struck listening to this as uh, that's too big a topic to do right now, I, I agree. We'll come back to some of this. We'll talk about some more of this another time. Next week, Owen is going to talk about the difficult-sounding topic of embracing pain and loss. Yeah, well, when, when we think about loss, sometimes we just think about big losses, major losses, you know, the loss of a loved one, for instance, um, or the break of a marriage or something like that. But what I also want to talk about is the way in which small changes, small losses affect us and sometimes they can stack up in our lives if we're prepared to not hide them and bury them but actually talk about them with one another if we're prepared to pay attention to those losses and pains and lament it and sit with it and be honest with it what actually happens is is that we grow through those experiences and um, and we uh, and we get to share those experiences with one another which deepens our relationship with one another so there's there's so much hope in in this talk and I'm you know I hope that um by listening to it it helps people kind of grapple with that and and have the courage to kind of have a look at some of the pain and some of the loss in their lives and 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 see if it it can't kind of bring them to a better place a place of a more better emotional health amazing well i'm going to look forward to that thank you very much to everyone for taking part thank you to you for listening if you've got anything you'd like to ask us anything any thoughts that you would like to share just email hello at sevenvineyard.org and it'd be great to hear from you and we'll see you next week